Hi, I'm Damien Mew, CEO of AIA Australia New Zealand, and we are proud to bring you this Future Women production. At AIA, our purpose is to make a difference in people's lives and champion Australia to be the healthiest nation in the world. In this pursuit, we are passionate about supporting women to live healthier, longer, better lives. It's not always easy. That's why we believe in dreaming big but thinking small, as good health starts by making small, healthy changes. Visit aavitality.com.au to find out how we can support and reward you to take your first small steps to a healthier you. This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community. Plus, our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. If you want someone to pay attention to you either as an influencer or as a brand, you have to be delivering value. I'm not just going to engage with your content because it's there. I think platforms that allow influencers to do that will continue to succeed. Hi there, welcome to Future Women with Sylvia Jeffries, where we climb inside the brilliant minds of successful female founders and learn how they've spun their simple ideas into global game changers. So whether you're in business, own one, or dream of doing it for yourself, these conversations will guide you through the keys to development, scale and investment with a heavy hit of humour and reality on the side. Today's guest is CEO of Wink Models and the Right Fit, Taryn Williams. Taryn is an A-grade disruptor. After starting her own modelling agency at the age of 21, she's taken on the tech world with The Right Fit, an online marketplace connecting brands with creative talent. There is a huge amount of money being spent in Australia in influencer marketing. Um, It's grown something like 150% on last year, the spend. So it's amazing. And influencers, if they treat it like a business and if they are, you know, fantastic content creators and visual storytellers, they really can earn a lot of money doing this. She is one of Australia's most celebrated tech entrepreneurs with more awards than you could poke a stick at. Asking a lot of questions. I mean, I was very upfront with our um, investors and said, you know, what what does this term mean and why do you want it? Why do you need founder vesting or why do you need this particular thing? Tell me what it is that you're trying to protect yourself from and, and what I need to know so that we can all be really aligned because... It is like a marriage, and it's worse than a marriage. You can't get out of it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you are in there. So you really need to know them. So spend that time really asking questions and deeply trying to understand what it is and what success looks like for them. What do they expect you to achieve? And she's come prepared with stacks of valuable advice to help you secure funding for your next startup. Well, Taryn, welcome to Future Women. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being a part of this series. Uh, you have basically. Or you were born to be an entrepreneur. I think looking at your um, looking at your skill set, looking at your history and your experience along the way, um, and you started your first company, Wink Models, when you were just twenty-one. Yes. How did that happen? <laughs> Look, I think the blissful naivety of someone who had no idea how difficult and challenging running a business could be, and I think that was probably, uh, yeah, the blissful ignorance that actually allowed me to do it. So, look, I'd worked in the industry myself. Um, I'd worked as a model and then on a client side as a producer for advertising campaigns, and I could just see that there were so many inefficiencies and inequalities. There were so many things that I thought could really easily be solved, like paying people on time and treating them with decency and respect and things that seemed like really, really basic entry-level things. Were there there moments when you felt 
do you have the raw end of the deal? Like definitely, that? definitely. And unfortunately, the industry was really well known for that too. There was it was sort of yeah something that was very common. And um, and I I really loved the industry. I loved the creative economy and that there were so many incredible talented people in it. But they couldn't afford to stay in the industry because they weren't getting paid on time. They weren't being treated very well, and yeah, it wasn't just financially viable for them. Um, and so I thought, well, okay, surely I can just launch an agency and Easy. and I will bankroll all of our payments um, until we get paid by clients and I'll pay everyone within seven days and they'll be able to stay and they'll love our agency because they get paid on time and they get treated fairly and we would be like an extended family for them because models obviously also when they're sort of in their, the height of their career are going through a lot of big life changes, moving out for the first time, going through their first big breakup, having their first car accident, all of those things. So I really wanted us to be a support network for, for our models and for our clients, I wanted them to know that instead of it being this sort of combative relationship that had traditionally been in the industry, that we were an extension of their team. We were vested in getting them a great outcome. And if we could work together instead of sort of combatively, then hopefully everyone would win. So yeah, nearly 12 years later and we're, we're still here. So. so And building Wink at that stage, of course, depended on getting the models in. So how did you attract yes. them to your agency? Yeah, well, we started with about 30 models um, in New South Wales, just from my sort of little black book of contacts. And we were the first ones in the industry to say, we're not exclusive. We just want to work collaboratively with you to get you great work opportunities. And we're not here to rule by fear. We really want you to feel supported. And if you have an opportunity that you'd like us to manage, we'll do that for you and we won't charge any commission. We just want everyone to succeed. So we should only be paid when we're bringing in work opportunities for you. So, um, And then obviously that sort of spread really well um, through the industry and, and it allowed models to have another option instead of being in a relationship with an agent where it was maybe a little bit unhealthy and, and they didn't feel comfortable and it was, yeah, a little of that, that rule by fear. It gave them an opportunity to try something else and come somewhere new. And we were probably also the first real commercial skewed modelling agency. We don't do editorial work. We really focus on commercial models and commercial clients and, um, and that sort of carved out a really great niche for us, cultural diversity and diversity in ages and, and skill sets and, and heights and sizes and things has really um, really worked for us. And Wink is in a pretty healthy position today. Yeah, so we now have just over 650 models Australia-wide um, and yeah, we've had year-on-year growth every year for nearly 12 years, 11 and a half wow. years. So yeah, it's been amazing and I have a fantastic team who make all the magic happen and yeah, it's, it's crazy. So what was the catalyst then for the right fit? Yes. <laughs> the crazy, why did you start a second yeah. business? <laughs> In the tech world. Yes. Yeah. So I built an end-to-end onboarding calendar management and payroll integration software for Wink. Because basically we got to this size where we had so many different models all over the country. And obviously like, they work on essentially on shifts, right? So they have different pay rates on different jobs that all start at different times all over the country. And it was a very manual process for us. We would be sending text messages. Are you available for casting at one o'clock? today, compiling those, sending them back to a client. It wasn't scalable. It wasn't efficient. And there was a huge opportunity for human error. Again, blissful naivety of someone who had no idea about tech products. I was like, why can't I just build an app that does this? Because the apps were cool then. You know, I'm just going to build an app that could like check when our models are available and schedule them on shifts and then send them the information that they need for their jobs. And and it sort of started out, I had no idea about building an MVP, like a minimum viable product. I just went, oh, I'm going to build that. Oh, what if it just did all these other things? What if it could also log if they did overtime? Or what if they could claim expenses like their parking? Or what if we could sort by different skills, like if they drive a manual car? All of these 
random questions that we'd been asked over the years. I thought, what if I build it into this giant tech product? Anyway, so that's where it started and it took about 18 months and it cost probably about half a million bucks and it was a really painful learning lesson in what not to do in a tech product. But at the end of that project, I had completely fallen in love with tech. I'd loved learning how to solve a business problem and do so many of those things. Obviously, I learned the hard way by not doing them all the first time, but learning how to wireframe and do user research sessions and things like that. And so I'd sort of got nearly to the end of the build and I was like, God, imagine if I'd built this in a way that clients could utilize it instead of having to come via an agency and us craft these briefs. Imagine if they could just post their own briefs. That would have been so much easier. So that was sort of the initial idea for what became the right fit. And I sort of took it out to a few people and said, you know, if I built a platform like this where you could connect directly and with the initial premise of wink in mind in that talent needed to be paid on time and I wanted to make sure they were safe. So I didn't want to make it just like a jobs listing board where, you know, anything can happen and they weren't protected and both parties weren't covered by contracts. And I thought, well, if I could build an air tasker or freelancer style model where both parties are protected, but it streamlines it and makes it so much more efficient. And also we were seeing this move towards small bits of snackable digital content and brands weren't spending $30,000, $40,000 on a model for a car ad anymore. They were creating 10, 15 times the amount of content that they were previously. But of course, the budgets were changing because it was purely for online and it lived for such a shorter period of time. So it sort of enabled those clients who needed to do more with less to be able to find great talent. Um, And on the flip side, allowed talent from all different walks of life. I mean, we now have like celebrity chefs and photographers and drone videographers and a whole range of, you know, professional athletes and things. Um, So as a brand, ideally now they can find everything they need for a creative campaign all in one place. So how does it how does it physically work? I mean, if I'm a um, serial company who yep. wants someone to appear in my advertisement, yep. what do I do? Yep. There's two different ways you can go about it. So you can come to our platform and you can search. So we've got really granular search terms. So you can search by ethnicity, by age, by gender, by skills, by keywords. So you might want a mum. So you can search for mums. And then you can individually inquire with specific people that fit your, fit your brief. So you can literally send them like a little direct message. Um, or you can post a call out and this is where you can say I'm looking for a mum who's over the age of 40 with kids of this age to appear in our serial commercial and it will algorithmically match you back with the most suitable candidates and then you can shortlist and chat and book all online. So really streamlined. And then how do you get involved in the middle of that? So we've basically built a back-end platform that has all of the inbuilt algorithms to match you back with the candidate and then also to cover all of your contracts, your public liability insurance, your personal property damage insurance. So All the boring all, stuff. All of the boring admin but very stuff important. Exactly, that yeah. no one wants to worry about is now all done automatically for you. And then we obviously have a 24-hour customer service team. If you do need a hand or if you just want someone to you know, help workshop an idea with you, then our account managers are here as well. But it can be as simple as jumping in and, and posting a job and booking and and transacting. And it's strange now for us, you know, that we have all of these people shooting campaigns or doing influencer work happening in the background that we've sort of never spoken to. So, so. So, and what feedback do you get from the brands that are using this platform? Yeah, it's so I think so many brands now are bringing content creation in-house, which is really exciting. I think obviously there's always going to be the need for advertising agencies and creative agencies for big spend campaigns. And and I think creativity is still so important. You can't just make content for content's sake. But it's really enabled them to be able to create fantastic pieces of content now at scale. So we do a lot of work with Qantas, for example, and they produce fantastic, beautiful pieces of content now that they just wouldn't have been able to do before because the 
the process involved would have been just too time consuming and too expensive. It would have taken them weeks of pre-production and casting and finding videographers and makeup artists and stylists where they can now post that brief and find a makeup artist in Broome and a stylist in, you know, wherever. So we've just united all of those people around one central point. So... And how many brands would you say you've worked with? Oh my gosh, there's about four and a half thousand brands wow. on the platform. Yeah, wow. in just under three years, and then we've got just over nine and a half thousand talent. So wow, yeah, and in every corner of Australia and and the world. So we've yeah. got an office in Singapore. So we've got a big balance of talent throughout sort of Southeast Asia, and we've just started onboarding talent throughout the world. So we've got a few in the US all throughout Europe. So yeah, and that's the other thing I really love about it is it allows talent to be completely in control of their own career. So if they're going to London for a month and they want to pick up some work, they can do that now. So have you made the traditional style of talent agency redundant? And this is another great question because people do ask me this. They're like, why would you go out and build a business that like cannibalizes your own baby? Yeah, exactly. You know, this is your firstborn business. Why would you go out and sort of cannibalize that? And I think, look, um, there's definitely always going to be a place for, I I sort of say it's like the the hotel versus the Airbnb. You know, there will always be people who want a full service approach and have the budgets and the timeframes to be allowed to do that. Um, But there will also be, you know, a case where people want a faster and more efficient service. So I think there'll always be a place for both. Um, But I do definitely think that brands now need to be in control of their content and disintermediating that that model and allowing them to have contact with the talent, the people that actually provide them the services. And so they can add value. They can talk to them and find out perhaps that photographer knows the best place to shoot that video footage for you. Or um, So I think, look, if people add value in a process, there'll always be a role for them. But if people aren't adding value, then no, I do think that they should be removed from the equation. So tell me um, about your approach to investment when you were starting up the right fit because this is something that we've touched on a few times in this series is you know the major hurdles in front of women who are trying to secure seed funding for their startups you didn't seem to have a huge amount of problems yeah it's definitely a a challenge yes so we raised um, 775,000 in our first round and then just over 1.1 in our second and look it's definitely a challenging process and I had to learn a lot the hard way again I had a fantastic mentor who really was very very helpful in the process and because it's it's full of all of these scary acronyms and terms and things that it's another language exactly and it and you know a very very small line item in a term sheet can mean the difference you know uh, between keeping your company and not so it's so important that you understand all of those. So yeah, it's a really intimidating process as well. And I think um, unfortunately by nature, women aren't great at asking for things and aren't necessarily always the best at selling their ideas and standing up for themselves and saying, this is a fantastic business and you should back me. Um, and And you're walking into a room of generally white, middle-aged males um, that are usually from a finance and banking background who probably have no idea about, I mean, our, our business is very much about creatives and talent and, and has a skew towards females. Like, this was something that was really outside of their realm. So it, it was, a, you know, an interesting and challenging process. I learned a lot the hard way um, and skinned my knees. And, and I think for me, it was about having great people around me that I could go to 
ask for help, making sure that I had everything documented before I went into the process. So a really great sales deck, a really robust financial model and, you know, deep understanding of the market and how big the size of the market opportunity was and things like that. Um, And then really not being afraid through the process to ask a lot of questions. I think women also have this natural fear of seeming like they don't know everything. And of course, if this is your first time, you know, doing this, it would be completely, you know, unnatural for you to know every single line in a term sheet or in a shareholders agreement. So asking a lot of questions, I mean, I was very upfront with our um, investors and said, you know, what what does this term mean and why do you want it? Why do you need founder vesting or why do you need this particular thing? Tell me what it is that you're trying to protect yourself from and, and what I need to know so that we can all be really aligned because... It is like a marriage and it's worse than a marriage. You can't get out of it. You know? yeah. <laughs> so you're, you are in there. So you really need to know them. So spend that time really asking questions and deeply trying to understand what it is and what success looks like for them. What do they expect you to achieve? Mm. And are you still moving through various rounds of funding or are you, are you leaving it where it we, is? We've, yeah, we've, we closed our last round maybe nearly 18 months ago. Um, so we won't raise any more capital at this very moment, but you know, never say never. We probably will raise again, especially for expansion internationally so so this the right fit started in 2016 yeah um, how would you describe the growth in the last three years it has been all-consuming it, yeah. it's an amazing like what I've learned the difference between an agency business or a traditional sort of lifestyle business and a tech company they're just completely different beasts they have such different growth mechanisms and you know I'd gone from building a business that had great organic growth that grew year on year as we grew more we hired more people it was always cash flow positive to running a tech company which was venture capital backed which had highly aggressive growth targets that didn't make money it was a completely different beast. So Was it daunting for you having other people's money to work absolutely, with? Absolutely, absolutely. And I took that very, very seriously. You know, it would absolutely, you know, re- take it to heart, you know, that these people have trusted me and given me their their money and, um, and their backing. So, and also have been instrumental in opening doors for us and assisting us and giving us sort of hands-on support as we grow. So, mm. um, yeah, look, it's been an absolute whirlwind. It's been phenomenal. It still blows my mind that I'll drive past a billboard on the Anzac Bridge and go, oh my gosh, that was a job that was posted on our platform. That's, you know, talent that we tangibly connected with that opportunity. So it's, it's been crazy, but it's been all kinds of challenges and twists and turns that I could never have predicted when I was starting this. Well, from the outside looking in, it probably seems to many to be a pretty glamorous existence, you know, working (laughs) with models and brands and creative content and influencers and, um, but I imagine there are some very real challenges that Absolutely. you face every single day yeah. in the role. What are some of those challenges? Definitely. And I think this is the, you know, the, the false glamour of social media too. It's, I mean, most of my job is spent on product development. So hands-on taking feedback from customers from either the sales process or from customer service tickets and actually working out how we can improve a product. Obviously, you build a product hoping that you're catering to your customers. And obviously, we have two very distinct customers types, clients and talent. And we we hope that we've built a product that serves them. But of course, you get so many pieces of customer feedback um, and you're, you're seeing how customers using a piece of technology and saying, that's not working for them. That's not solving a problem. So I work very closely with our engineering and product team trying to improve every single day how customers can check out on our platform, how they can more easily post a job, how they can search and find the things they need and solving all of those pain points. Um, And then, of course, you have this, um, you have a finite 
end date. You have a finite amount of runway in a startup business. So you raise capital and you have these targets that you need to deliver. And so there's a finite every single day costs us money to keep the lights on. So you're going, okay, I, I need to hit these targets. I need to, you know, make this user experience as perfect as I possibly can so that we can grow and scale um, in the way that we need to deliver this. So yeah, it's a really, it's certainly very stressful. Mm. Um, and it's taught me a lot of things along the way. Um, but it's, yeah, it's an amazing journey. Unfortunately, I don't, I've never had a job, so I don't know yeah. any differently. So this has sort of become my norm. So um, how do you, how do you fit it all into one day, you know, being the CEO of two companies now, basically, um, and having all of these balls in the air at the moment. Are there some apps? I know that you've spoken mm-hmm. about Slack, the messaging Slack, service. Yeah. What else would you recommend to other people like you who've got yeah, a thousand balls in the air to definitely. make your day more efficient? And I think there's so many fantastic apps. I mean, when I started Wink, there was, you know, there wasn't entrepreneurs, there wasn't startup groups, there wasn't any sort of support, and there certainly wasn't any of these amazing efficiency tools. So um, I love Slack. It's cut down our internal email communication phenomenally, which I just think is so fantastic. And it's also really easy to see transparently where anyone is at any one point in time and keep all of our comms in one channel. So we religiously use that. Um, Jira for our dev engineering team, so to keep track of any sort of tickets in the business, any customer service, um, you know, new product development, all all of our product. J-I-R-A. Yeah. yeah. It's part of the Atlassian suite. So okay. it's amazing. So we build all of our sprints in there. And so we'll, you know, raise a ticket. I want to add a button to this particular thing and everyone in the company uses it. So it's really fantastic. So you can see at any one point in time, what our dev team are working on, what's in the current sprint. And um, that's amazing. Um, I personally love Trello for project management as well, because it's super, super easy. I call it, it's like, they're like little sticky um, post-it notes. So you can drag and drop them to move them to different columns and everyone can collaborate around the one board. So that's been a lifesaver for us. And then I love Xero as well, just being able to really easily and transparently see how the business is performing at any one point in time and reconcile my expenses while I'm on the run. So So what about some insight for um, for some potential influencers out there, mm-hmm. um, seeing as you represent so much, so yeah. many influencers, you would have great insight on this. What is the earning potential for, for an influencer in Australia? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a wide yeah, range. Yeah, it is. But where would you sort of find the average? That's a really good question. It really does depend on the niche that they fall into and the number of followers that they have and their engagement rates and the type of content they create as well. So it really does vary from, from influencer to influencer. And from brand to brand as to how much they're willing to spend. But it is definitely the new media. Um, There is a huge amount of money being spent in Australia in influencer marketing. Um, It's grown something like 150% on last year, the spend. So it's amazing. And influencers, if they are, if they treat it like a business and if they are, you know, fantastic content creators and visual storytellers, um, they really can earn a lot of money doing this. So it's it's something that if you're passionate about and it really needs to come through because it really needs to show organic that this is something that that you love and you, you have to build, spend time building and curating an audience um, for it to be viable. Do you have to be a 19-year-old, size six, <laughs> six-foot supermodel to you be know, an influencer? it's so interesting. So many people say that to us. They, you know, we'll go and see a brand and they're like, oh, influencer marketing's not for us. We don't sell to, you know, millennial women. You know, we're not a fashion brand. And I'm like, my gosh, the original influencers were journalists, you know, and 
we've always had influencer marketing. It's just been on different channels. Now that we spend more money on digital advertising and online channels, obviously influencer marketing is now predominantly seen as online channels. But I mean, we we have LinkedIn influencers. Brands that just engage people who are influential in their sphere of influence on LinkedIn. Um, so I think that there's so many different ways to think about influencer marketing. I mean, professional athletes are influencers. Um, so there's so many, yeah, different ways that they need to Mums, think about it. Probably Mums, the most absolutely. lucrative influencers of all, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what is the future of influencing? Do you mm, think? Great question, especially with all the platform changes. You know, I think that every, there's there's the opportunity for new platforms as well. I mean, TikTok is now, you know, getting really popular in Australia as well. It's really popular overseas. So there's going to be new platforms um, being released. I think there's going to be changes to existing platforms as well. And I think consumers are much more savvier in, in how they engage with content online now. If you want someone to pay attention to you either as an influencer or as a brand, you have to be delivering value. So you have to be adding, giving something to them that's informative, that's entertaining, that's educational, whatever it might be. But I'm not just going to engage with your content because it's there. So you need to make this thumb-stopping content. It needs to be really creative. It needs to be really interesting. And so I think platforms that allow influencers to do that will continue to succeed. And I think influencers that do that um, will get cut through. Um, but I think brands are going to be savvier in asking for much more detailed analytics. Um, they want to see return on investment. And it's so much easier for them to quantify those now. You know, there's tools available for them to do that. So I think we'll see a lot more robustness as the industry starts to mature. And more and more authenticity is going to become the key because it is a saturated environment now, isn't it? And it's the authentic that stands out, the Celeste Barbers of the world, for example. Absolutely, absolutely. And we always say too that influence is so often a byproduct of expertise. And so I think, you know, instead of just saying, well, let's find someone who has a really huge reach, looking for someone who is already an expert in that field, who's a dietitian or a doctor or whatever it might be, a vet or, you know, um, a well-known finance um, advisor, find someone that is really an expert and or you know a mum that's you know having to deal with making school lunchboxes every day get them to talk about your product and collaborate with them to find that angle so what then is the future for the right fit what where do you see the the business in the next five years? Mm, oh my gosh, great question. So we've just released a whole bunch of new analytics tools on our platform, um, which gives clients really detailed breakdown of audience insights on every single influencer. So things like where their audience is based geographically, um, gender breakdowns, um, what they're talking about, their top hashtags and things like that, trying to give them really clear transparency um, before they're engaging an influencer. So I'm really excited about that. And a post image analyzer, which is a very, very complex sort of piece of uh, technology that allow with machine learning and AI really allows them to see how that image performed. So brand safety and um, sentiment of the comments, really detailed um, performance insights. So I'm excited about those. So look, you know, it's it's going to be a really exciting time for us. I think really helping brands understand influencer marketing is sort of our big focus at the moment because it's such a new market, especially here in Australia. And then continuing to expand internationally. So Asia Pacific is our first focus. Um, So we've had our Singapore office for, gosh, just over six months now, um, which is amazing. So continuing to expand into Asia. And of course, with that will come new platforms and um, new types of influencers or key opinion leaders, as they're called Mm. in Asia. Do you have major competitors in it's this really, field? Yeah, it's really interesting because we do such a broad range of things. So um, I guess in our sort of model actor 
um, sort of sphere of talent. Then there's traditional agencies. Um, then we have photographers and videographers. Again, there's sort of production companies that, that cater for that. Um, then we have celebrities and professional athletes who have managers. So there's sort of competitors there. And, and then there's influencer platforms. And so we're sort of D, none of the above, but um, we're sort of- one-stop shop. Yeah, we're yeah. sort of a collection of all of those. So yeah, there's sort of different competitors in different markets for different elements of what we do, but not sort of all of what we do. Yeah. Um, do you like travel? Because it sounds like you've got to do a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm so lucky that I was spending a lot of time back and forth to our Melbourne office last year, which d- does get a little bit, wear a little bit thin. Mm. Um, and it's nice to spend, you know, some time at home in my own bed, which is great. Um, I do travel a lot. I, I do. Look, I, I do enjoy it. Um, you do get to a point, as you know, where you get a bit jaded and you go, God, I didn't do anything not to have to get on that plane today. Yeah. And then you kind of realise, look, it's a bit of a first, first world, world problem. problem. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. And, you know, I've got to meet so many amazing people through my travels. So, yeah, look, a little bit more of it to come, um, I think. So... Sounds like it. Where do, where do you come from? Where's where's home? I was born in the Barossa Valley in South oh. Australia. Oh, lucky you. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful slice of the world. Um, and then I grew up in Fiji, of all places. Oh, wow. So then far north Queensland, then Canberra, then Sydney. So all over the place. Now, are there any other entrepreneurs in your family or are you an enigma? No, I'm definitely an enigma in our family. Um, my parents are the most supportive, divine, good-natured people with stable jobs. And my sister is the exact same, salt of the like, lovely, lovely people. And I don't know, I'm just this complete outsider, black sheep of the family who, you know, from even from a very, very young age, you know, was just incredibly headstrong and stubborn and strong-willed and wanted to do things my way. And yeah. Well, what what are the qualities do you think that um, are required for success Mm -hmm. in business? Oh gosh, there's so many. I think grit and tenacity. I think because you, you do get told no a lot of the time and you need to get back up and you need to have confidence in yourself and really, really push through. I think all the best entrepreneurs I know are just really gritty. You know, they really get stuff done. Um, I definitely, a high risk appetite I think is really important. I mean, what we do every single day is is taking a lot of risks or weighing up two big risks. You know, you don't, you don't really get safe options in, in what we do. Um, so, you know, being okay with that, um, you know, having a healthy... Um, and then I think probably probably an, an attitude that is about getting things done, about executing, because a lot of people have plans and dreams and can do, yeah, can do the spreadsheet, but actually a bias for action and going, okay, I'm actually going to execute that is sort of what separates dreamers from executors and, and, yeah, entrepreneurs, I think. And what's the toughest lesson you've learned along the way? Oh, my gosh, there's so many. Um, I think building a team and hiring really great people is so hard. Finding the right people for the right role at the right time and getting them all running in the same direction is so challenging. Um, if anyone's got the silver bullet magic solution to that, I would love to hear it. Um, yeah, because especially in startups, because the, the marketing manager I need today is not going to be the marketing manager I need in six months' time. You know, it's this, we're such fast-moving businesses, so... That's definitely been a challenge. And for me, also learning how to delegate. You know, I'm a massive control freak. I I love touching everything and knowing where everything's at in the business. And that just kills a business from scaling. So learning how to do that and, you know, hand something over. Yeah. Deep breath. Yeah, exactly. And and letting someone else run a project and thrive and succeed is, um, yeah, definitely been a challenge for me. So, well, if anyone wants to join the marketplace, where should they go? What should they do? So the URL is the right dot fit, which confuses everything 
everyone. There's no .com, there's no .au, there's no .net. It's just the right .fit. So they can come there. Um, if they're a talent and they want to join, you can just sign up. Um, there's no fees or anything like that. Clients, you can post a job in the marketplace. We just charge a 15% commission when you book someone in. So, yeah, go in, post a job, have a search. And, um, yeah, we would love you to try it. Well, congratulations on all Thank your you success. Thank you so much. And happy travels. <laughs> Thank, uh, you. And we'll Thank you. I'm sure I'll see you in a lounge somewhere. We will see you somewhere, <laughs> hopefully somewhere glamorous. Hopefully. Probably not. Not <laughs> probably my not. Exactly. existence. <laughs> all the best. Thanks so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you to Taryn for dropping by the Future Women's Studio. What a story, huh? If you'd like to follow Taryn's journey, you'll find her on Instagram at Taryn Williams. I'm Sylvia Jeffries. Don't forget to hit subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using. Give us a rating if you're on iTunes. And if you really enjoyed this chat, then please go ahead and leave a review while you're there. This podcast was brought to you by AIA, supporting Australians to live healthier, longer, better lives. AIA Insurance for life, health and well-being. You can also stay up to date with the latest Future Women events at futurewomen.com. Thanks for listening. Next week, we chat to Kate Morris, founder of online retailer Adore Beauty.